Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Episode 62, Revelation 7, verses 4 through 11. The 144,000. Revelation 7, verses 4 through 8. And I heard the number of them having been sealed, 144,000, having been sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 having been sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 having been sealed. In our last podcast, we covered this odd list of tribes, and specifically refocused on those that were deleted from this list, including Dan and Ephraim. We learned that Dan is idiomatic of Christians and Jews who fall away, abandon their calling, and take the mark of the beast upon their forehead and right hands. They become ardent believers, fully convinced they are serving their Messiah. Whereas Ephraim is idiomatic for those in the household of God, who followed the beast out of perceived necessity and are therefore marked on the forehead alone and not on both the right hand and the forehead. Now, let's turn to the inclusion of the tribes that we would not otherwise find in any normal list of the tribes of Israel. Inclusions, Levi, Joseph, the remnant. Levi, as noted previously, Levi was not customarily included in any list of the tribes as they did not inherit any property in the land of Israel. They made their homes amongst the other tribes as they ministered their service as priests of God to the nation. They were also once not a people and that they did not stand as a unified tribe in their rightful territory. But now they are the people of God, unified in him as this privileged place and position of the Levites as priests of God has been given to those who are bondservants of Jesus Christ from among both Jew and Gentile. 1 Peter 2, 4-5 And coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This priesthood of the bondservants of Jesus Christ fulfills two prophecies from Isaiah. In the first prophecy, Yahweh said that he will make a special planting, oaks of righteousness, that he may be glorified. This special planting would be called priests of Yahweh and spoken of as being ministers of our God. 
Their offspring will be known among the nations because they are the offspring Yahweh has blessed. This same prophecy is concluded with a beautiful and stunning view of the bride of Christ, the church, which we know is comprised of both Gentiles and Jews. Isaiah 61, verse 10 through 11. I will rejoice greatly in Yahweh. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so Yahweh, God, will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. In another Isaiah prophecy, it speaks of gathering all the brethren of Israel from the nations of the world as a grain offering to Yahweh. And he says that he will take some of them for priests and Levites. In other words, some of those from Ephraim who are gathered will become bondservants of Jesus Christ, a part of the church, the bride of Christ. This is exactly what the Spirit revealed in Revelation 1, verse 5 through 6. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Hence the 24 elders and the four fall down before the Lamb declaring, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Accordingly, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection, the rapture of the church. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Levi is code for the bondservants of God comprised of both Gentile and Jewish believers. They are priests of God and minister before him. In addition, and in support of the idiomatic understanding of the tribe of Levi, in Jeremiah, Yahweh promised that the Levitical priesthood shall never, never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to prepare sacrifices continually he will always have before him. Never? Really? For nearly 2,000 years, since the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Levitical system of worship has been wiped off the face of the earth, fulfilling the promise that the Spirit made in the book of Hebrews, that this system was waxing old, becoming obsolete, and about to disappear. And with disappear being a noun and not a verb, it describes its ongoing state of existence. But God does not lie. He is incapable of lying. Therefore, what are we to conclude as to this promise that the Levitical priests shall never lack a man before him offering sacrifices? And by the way, God was so serious about this promise that he doubled down. He reinforced his claim in Jeremiah 33, verses 20 through 22. Thus says Yahweh, if you can break my covenant for the day and my covenant for the night, so that day and night will not be at their appointed time, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant, so that he will not have a son to reign on his throne, and with the Levitical priests, my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be counted, and that the sand of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. Clearly, since God does not lie, 
we are to understand this through the lens of the code and his promise to all those who have bet their lives on his name, both Jew and Gentile, that they would be to him a kingdom and priests to our God. Now, just to complete the thought and the promise as priests, the bondservants of Christ offer up all manner of sacrifices to Yahweh as they minister before him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. And coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Romans 12, 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Philippians 2.17 But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. Philippians 4.18 At the moment I have all I need, and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Again, Levi's code for the bondservants of God comprised of both Gentile, Ephraim, and Jewish believers, as they are his priests, and they minister before him day and night. Hence, his covenant with David fulfilled in Jesus, and his covenant with the Levites stands true and unbroken. Joseph. In this image of Joseph, we get a couple of very subtle messages, but they are powerful. We must return, however, to the relationship between Manasseh and Ephraim, the firstborn. As I mentioned previously, Manasseh was the oldest brother with all the rights of the firstborn. In these ancient cultures, the firstborn was both a privilege and a weighty responsibility. At the designated time, the firstborn took on the full responsibility as the ruler of the extended family and became the patriarch charged with safeguarding the economic, relational, spiritual, and other matters that impacted the family. For carrying this responsibility, the firstborn was given a double blessing, or twice the inheritance as the other children. In this case, Joseph would have split his inheritance into thirds, with Manasseh getting two-thirds and Ephraim one-third of their father's inheritance. However, when Joseph brought his children to Jacob, the patriarch of the 12 tribes, receive a blessing, Jacob placed his right hand, a symbol of strength, on Ephraim, the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh, the oldest. Joseph, the dad, tried to correct him as clearly that was backwards, but Jacob was operating in the prophetic and said that the younger will be greater than the older. In so doing, Jacob put Ephraim before Manasseh with Ephraim in effect being designated as the firstborn, which is a powerful statement when we think of the Gentile church who was secondborn, but has been elevated by God and has borne the responsibility of the firstborn for the past 2,000 years. However, in this list of tribes, the Spirit mentioned Manasseh twice. First as a separate and distinct tribe, and second by implication, as Manasseh was included in the mention of Joseph, which included both Manasseh and Ephraim. 
In effect, God gives Manasseh a double portion and thereby restored to Manasseh the position of the firstborn. And because Ephraim has been spread amongst the Gentile nations due to their apostasy, this restoration of Manasseh is likely a very Jewish matter which would speak to the remnant of Jews who will be grafted back into the vine of Christ as bondservants of God. And since we have Joseph listed as a tribe, by implication, not all Ephraim is doomed to apostasy. For God has also mercifully planned for restoration of Ephraim through the Gentile nations. In Ezekiel, the Spirit gives us a prophecy of the restoration of Ephraim on behalf of Joseph, all the house of Israel and his companions, and the joining of Ephraim to Judah as one nation, no longer divided and no longer given to idolatry, detestable things or transgressions. Yahweh will gather up Ephraim, Israel, from the nations to which they have gone, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. Therefore, the inclusion of Joseph is a unique code that addresses two issues. First, it speaks of the restoration of a remnant of Jews to the place of the firstborn, with all the inheritance rights and responsibilities of the firstborn. Thus, we can be certain that the prophecies from Romans 11 regarding the eventual conversion of Jews to become full-on followers of Christ will take place just as God said. Second, it speaks of the gathering of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation from which Ephraim has been scattered. Though this has looked largely Gentile in nature, it is a restoration of Ephraim and a fulfillment of the original prophecy, his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And this prophecy is reiterated and further explained as belonging to all those who live according to their new creation in Christ, for they are the true Israel or the true Ephraim of God. Joseph is code for both Joseph and Gentile believers from every tribe, tongue, and nation who become bondservants of Jesus Christ. The unusual list concluded. The imagery given through this unusual list of tribes and the number that is marked 144,000 all culminates in a beautiful gathering across the globe of those who love and worship the Lamb. It's a complete gathering of all the bondservants of Christ, both Gentile and Jew. It's a completion of a mystery, which will be more fully explained in Revelation 14, and which was also explained to us in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, and chapter 3, verse 3 through 7. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In other words, you were not a people and you had not received mercy. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by re revelation, there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, 
by referring to this. When you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace which is given to me according to the working of his power. In sum, God removed the apostate believers from his household, both Jew and Gentile, represented by the omission of Dan and Ephraim. But he also restores into one body all those who are willing to now be believing and to now be overcoming. In so doing, he completes the mystery through the inclusion of Levi and Joseph, or by implication, the inclusion of the bond servants found in Ephraim and the restoration of Manasseh, the Jews, to the role of the firstborn. Romans 11, 22 through 27. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, the Jews, severity. But to you, the Gentiles, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more, in other words, the double blessing of Manasseh, will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel both Jew and Gentile, will be saved just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God has brought a partial hardening to the heart of the Jew so that during the time of Ephraim, the time of the Gentile nations, only a few Jews are brought into his household. He does this to bring in the fullness of the Gentile believers. But when the full number of Gentiles have been gathered from the nations, he will gather a remnant of Jews, Manasseh, who come to him based on grace. And if it is by his grace, then it is no longer based on works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And so all Israel will be saved just as it is written. Once the Gentiles, Ephraim, were disobedient to God and did not know him, but now they have been shown mercy because of the disobedience of the Jews. In like manner, this remnant of Jewish believers, Manasseh, because of the mercy shown to the Gentiles, will also be shown great mercy, the double portion promised to the firstborn Manasseh. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all through his grace. And if it is by his grace, then it is no longer based on works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Finally, all those whom he mercifully gathers to himself, based on grace, become his priests, his Levites, who minister on behalf of others and who continually offer up sacrifices to Yahweh. They join the tribe of Levi, who are recognized by their dedicated, set-apart service of the Father. A great multitude. Revelation 7, 9-11 
After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, having been standing before the throne and before the lamb, having been clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they now cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who chooses to now be sitting on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Montage of events. This image might be confusing because of the layering of time. In one picture, we are exposed to the 144,000 who must first be marked and sealed before the angels start to damage the earth, the sea, and the trees. But in the next instant, we see the consummation of their faithfulness as they are all gathered in one place before the throne and the Lamb. Then we are suddenly transported to a present time experience and then back to an intensive expression of the past. This picture does not describe one event. Rather, it's a montage of events tied together in one picture so we can have hope and assurance that even though we will see a lot of terrible things occur when these four angels and the four winds are let loose, the bond servants of God are not only sealed in him, but they will soon be gathered unto our God as one people. Where are they from? This is a gathering from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. The gospel reaches the nations as the white horse and its rider conquer every place it goes. No people group of any sort is left out. After all, he is a great king, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, and his name is feared among the nations. Where are they found? They are standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And being rendered in the perfect active participle, it is a done deal. And it is their ongoing experience. They are right where they belong before the God who judges the throne and before the one who was judged in their place, the lamb. What are they wearing? They are clothed in those special white robes, the stole, with white being a symbol of their purity and righteousness. And as we discovered with the souls under the altar, these robes have a unique purpose, which is to comfort, to bring rest, and to provide calm. And being rendered in the perfect middle participle, we know that they had to dig down deep in their souls and make the choice to put on these robes and to keep them on. But the decision was made, and it continually stands. These are bondservants of God who chose to be identified are clothed only in the righteousness of Yahweh Sidkenu, shedding any attempt to be clothed with their own deeds of righteousness. This also foreshadows a blessing announced at the very end of this book in Revelation 22.14. We are told, adjusted for the code, blessed are those who are now washing their robes so that they may choose to have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. The point is that we simply have nothing worthy and can do nothing worthy by which we can make our robes white. Our robes get stained by just living in this fallen world, by our own sin and by the sin of others. And there is no amount of remorse, repentance, or trying extra super hard to stop sinning that will result in clean white robes. Only the blood of Jesus 
cleanses us from all sin. Still, our religious flesh is constantly beating us down, trying to get us to focus on what we have done wrong and what others have done wrong. But that is a prison, a hardened cage of legalism that is not a blessing. In contrast, every time we bet our lives upon the name Yahweh Sidkenu, fully convinced that we are righteous regardless of what we have done wrong, every time we bet our lives on the fact that it is the Spirit's job to transform us according to His attention and in His timing, we are now washing our robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Every time we declare that there is no law, we are now washing our robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Every time we live in forgiveness with ourselves and with others, we are now washing our robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Every time we choose to let God cause us to agape love one another, we are now washing our robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Thus, we are to always be, even now, washing our robes in the blood of the Lamb, confident that His blood removes the stains and makes our robes white as snow. And if we are now washing our robes white in the blood of the Lamb, we will live blessed. Can you imagine the strain and weight of shame, guilt, fear, and responsibility that would fall off our shoulders if we lived in the absolute and unrestrained freedom provided by Yahweh Sidkenu, where we choose to let Him be our righteousness now and continually? Now that would be a blessing. What is in their hands? Palm branches were in their hands. Many have said that these palm branches symbolize victory, since palm branches were carried by victors in the Grecian and Roman games, as well as in triumphal processions. And while that may be an appropriate conclusion, this image started off with some serious Jewish idioms. Thus, looking at it from the code and not Grecian or Roman practices, perhaps this is speaking to another Jewish idiom, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is the seventh of the Jewish festivals. It follows both the Feast of Trumpets, the fifth feast, and the Day of Atonement, the sixth feast. The Feast of Trumpets, again, the fifth feast, is symbolic of the rapture of the church or the gathering of all believers to Jesus who have stood only on the grace of God. Five is the number of grace. The Day of Atonement is the sixth feast and is symbolic of the Lord's judgment of the sin of man. Six is the number of man. This judgment is the great wrath of the Lord played out in the infamous Day of the Lord. Coming after the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles was a time of great celebration, a party like no other. The Israelites would make temporary huts symbolizing their journey in the wilderness, and these huts would be made from branches of palm trees, and they would rejoice before Yahweh, just like we see this complete gathering from every tribe, tongue, and nation celebrating before the throne and the Lamb. In effect, through the Feast of Tabernacles, we are given a picture within a picture. The journey which the Israelites took in the wilderness represents our time here on this earth where we are aliens and strangers, temporary travelers sent to this earth with a mission to be an ambassador of Christ. Perhaps these palm branches represent the fact that this gathering understands that they were just passing through this world on their way to their desired haven. And God was faithful all the way through their journey to deliver them provide for them, and to protect them. Therefore, they celebrate. Moreover, there is some significant prophecy that is connected to the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus said that he was going to prepare a place for us, housing, so to speak, to wait out the time between the rapture 
and the Lord's second coming, which occurs at the end of the second three and a half year period of the tribulation. Now, we know that these dwellings will be temporary because we return with Jesus to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years, and we will not need them. And thereafter, the earth and the heaven will be disposed of, which will obviously include these temporary dwelling structures. Thus, this crowd is safely hidden away in their temporary shelters during the time of God's wrath. The prophet Isaiah speaks of this wonderful time of shelter. Isaiah 26, 19 through 21. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Sounds like the rapture. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself for a little while until the fury, or the time of indignation, has passed by. Remember, the bondservants of God are not appointed to wrath. Thus, they are gathered to hide away in these temporary structures till the time of wrath is completed. For behold, Yahweh is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. This is a reference to the time of great wrath. This passage speaks to the resurrection of dead in Christ, the rapture of the church, those who are alive and remain, the perfect gathering, and the temporary hiding away of all the bondservants of Christ in the dwellings which Jesus is preparing for us while he pours out his great wrath upon those who have made their permanent abode on the earth. With that said, even though there is a short period of quiet, the calm before the storm, we are given a picture of those who are marked by Yahweh and the ultimate consummation of their gathering to him. But between these two events, there's a long road ahead, as the seventh seal is yet still to be opened. Once opened, the seventh seal leads to seven trumpets of judgment, which leads to the seven bowls of wrath. Therefore, this image of the completed gathering of bondservants of Jesus Christ is intended to give his bondservants hope and confidence that they are his, they will triumph, and they will be priests of Yahweh throughout eternity. What are they saying? This complete gathering now cries out, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The entire passage leading up to these verses was rendered in the aorist, perfect, and one instance of the imperfect, or the technical past tense. And suddenly, when it comes to what they cried out, it switches to the present tense. And they now cry out with a loud voice, now saying, Salvation to our God who now and continually chooses to be sitting on the throne and to the Lamb. The point being is that the bondservants of God are even now crying out with this glorious proclamation. It is a cry that resides deep within their hearts and souls. But what does it mean? Salvation to our God and to the Lamb? These bondservants are worshiping God and the Lamb for being the source of their salvation. The very reason these bondservants have been set free from the world, set free from their flesh, set free from the deeds of the four angels and the four winds who are about to unleash havoc on the earth, set free from the time of wrath, and set free from the beast. After all, that is what Yahweh Yasha is all about, setting free, saving his people. Revelation 7, 11 through 12. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. 
and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. A quick note on the angels. The Greek renders stood in a very unusual tense that we have not yet come up against, and that is the pluperfect, which in effect functions as a super past tense. The idea is that these angels have stood around the throat from way in the past, way beyond the past of anything in view, probably from the beginning of creation when God created the heavens. These angels, the 24 elders and the four, once again, engage in a beautiful act of worship as they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. And although these acts are rendered in the past tense, they fell and they worshiped, they are now saying a blessing that can only be given to the one who is worthy. They start and finish this praise with bookends of amen, or so be it. So be it, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to our God forever and ever. So be it. Another sevenfold complete worship. This is remarkably like the praise they shouted in chapter 5, verse 12 with the exception that thanksgiving is substituted for riches. This gathering is so thankful to be with Yahweh, so thankful for their salvation, that they are even now saying this sevenfold complete blessing. I also want to note that with the inclusion of the two amens, with two being the number of division and witness, this praise is declaring that they stand as witness of all the blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might do the Lamb. And that this gathering, having been marked, sealed, they are now divided from those who dwell on the earth, from those who will refuse to worship the Lamb. And with the addition of the two amens, this phrase has nine elements. And according to the code, nine is the number of judgments. Perhaps that is why they are so thankful, because having been sealed, marked by the angel, they are being saved from the terrible judgment that is going to come upon those who dwell on this earth. Let's stop here, and we'll pick back up with our analysis of who are these people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S h-e-r mediagroup.com This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.